Good morning. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3, Canberra's iconic community radio station, celebrating its 40th year. The program is Subject ACT, where we delve headfirst into local current affairs from a curious, informed and independent perspective. It's Monday the 20th of June. I'm Becca Posterino. As promised, today we look at women in Australian politics, starting with former ACT Chief Minister, now Labor Federal Senator Katie Gallagher. A conversation between Senator Gallagher and the Coalition Senator Mitch Fifield in a Senate committee hearing earlier this year swiftly digressed when Senator Gallagher accused Senator Fifield of mansplaining. The incident sparked a deluge of offensive and very personal attacks on social media to Senator Gallagher. I spoke to Katie Gallagher to confront the cultural atmosphere of politics for women in Australia. I also met with Australian Greens' lead Senate candidate, Christina Hobbs, who witnessed the impacts of climate change firsthand during her time working with the United Nations in Nepal. Christina was also hit by the reality of Australia's treatment of asylum seekers after her work with the United Nations in response to the Syrian crisis. Her passion for climate change and asylum seekers inspired her to follow a political path with the Australian Greens Party. Christina's shared values for equality and justice married well with the party and she feels the Australian Greens Party offers women a genuine platform to influence political change. You're listening to Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3. Coming up next, Senator Katie Gallagher on the use of the word mansplaining in the chamber and her experience as a woman in Australian politics. I'm Becca Posterino. Lovely to have your company this morning. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Beck. Thanks for joining us today. My first question, in reference to Senator Mitch Fifield's response to your mention of mansplaining in Parliament earlier this year, does change need to occur in the political environment regarding how male politicians interact with female politicians? Is this a question of political culture? I think there's an element of that, certainly, and I don't think it should be any surprise. I think anyone who works in a male-dominated environment would be able to speak of you know, the culture that exists and some of the changes that are put in place when women enter those environments. And I think politics is very similar to any other workplace like that. So we have a situation where, you know, the majority of politicians are men, the majority of politicians with power and influence are men, and I think that does impact on the culture of the the political workplace. And, you know, it's tough for women to raise these issues. When I've raised them, when I've called them out, which I I did on that occasion Mm. using, trying to be quite light-hearted about it in actual fact by using the term mansplaining and, and laughing about it, you certainly get pushback. I got pushback from Senator Fifield in terms of, you know, being spoken to, I think, like a, a naughty, mm-hmm. belligerent child. Mm-hmm. And and I certainly got pushback from from men across the country when that did get quite, you know, high profile coverage through social media and stuff. I was inundated for weeks with men who were just absolutely outraged by my use of the word or the way that I stood up to it and, you know, really awful comments posted on my Facebook and Twitter and emails sent and, in fact, every time that video gets a burst somewhere in the world, which it seems to Mm. do, I get 
the same kind of vitriolic attacks for mm. a period of time afterwards. So, you know, it is tough to raise these issues, mm. but it's important too as well. I think this raises another issue, the social media backlash that it had. A deeper question at large is that if you are putting yourself on the line to question that, that there is this backlash and is that what stops or prevents women from actually contesting the behaviour in general? Yeah, look, I've thought about this long and hard actually after that situation because I'd been in local politics for you know 14 years or so and whilst I've been subjected to the you know to dealing with (laughs) sexism and and you know negative comments as part of that I have never experienced it on the level I did when I dared to use that term and that was projected across through national channels but I, I think it spoke to me of a much deeper cultural problem that exists in this country and we see it in many different ways we see it in the level of domestic violence Mm. you know we see it in the level of women who are homeless we see it you know with the level of women who have caring responsibilities I mean just some of the issues the inequality that continues to exist and at the very harsh end at the extreme end and I don't by any means suggest that the majority of men are like this it's Mm. a very small population of men Mm. who are very angry and quite aggressive in the way that they cope with women who are either challenging the status quo or taking on roles that this very small group of men think they shouldn't Mm. be doing. So, you know, some of the comments, I mean, some of them were, I would never repeat, some of them were very Mm. violent, some of them were about my kids, but others were Mm. just, you know, go back to the kitchen where you belong, go home, Mm. cook for your husband, other sort of sexual connotations about what my role is in the world and I think that really surprised me and that can't just be restricted to kind of politicians. That's a very small group of men expressing their view of women as a whole in this country and, you know, I I sort of, it really did shock me. Maybe Mm. I'm too naive, maybe Mm. I was unprepared. I certainly didn't when I said that comment, which was sort of joking because Mm. it was taking up a lot of time to give me a lesson Mm. in how to do things that I actually already understood. Mm. I had no idea it would end like that. And it's very insightful and, Mm. you know, to some extent I think it probably will change the way that I handle those situations in the future. Do you feel that it's impacted your confidence in the political realm? Well, I like to think it hasn't. I would say that when you go through things like this, you should always analyse and have a look and reflect on what happened. And as I said, I I found his response to it insightful and (laughs) unexpected, let's Mm. just say that. I mean, I thought he would get the fact that he had been going on for 10 minutes, Mm. giving me a lesson in Politics 101. I was actually asking a different question that he was refusing to answer. But I didn't expect, I guess, the aggressive response that he showed. But I, I also wasn't going to back down, and I think anyone who watches the video can see that I don't back down. No. I'm, I'm surprised at his response, but I'm saying, well, no, I'm not withdrawing that. But it was so unexpected, his his anger back towards mm. me, that it will make me think more carefully, perhaps, about how I deal with that and what language I use to challenge that. So mm. I, I wouldn't say that I would ever not stand up for myself. Mm. I will. I do think I would think carefully about how I chose to do that. Mm. And I will always call out sexism when I see it. I didn't necessarily see that as him being sexist. I just saw him as mansplaining to mm. me. And look, it's a term that many people use without 
causing the level of offence. It seems to have caused Senator Fifield and some of the people who've responded on social media. And in fact, it's a term that is used pretty widely now Mm -hmm. and people understand what it means. In terms of your role in politics, is being a woman a strength or a weakness? I think it's probably both. I've found women come... Well, no, it's hard to generalise in these circumstances, but my my life experience as a woman influences how I approach my work and I think in many cases that strengthened my ability to represent the huge diversity of interests across our community and I guess it's also a weakness because we're in the minority in terms of the numbers of us and I think still we've got a long way to go in terms of how we break down some of the the barriers mm. to performing at the highest level. I mean, we can all speak about the people who have mashed through the glass ceiling and, you know, they are incredibly wonderful female role models in federal politics, but there's a lot of women in federal politics who haven't reached that point and we have to keep motivating them mm. and supporting them through their political careers. Mm. I guess I'm sort of, again, even though I'm new, new-ish, one, one year in federal politics I've been trained up in local Mm. politics so I get how brutal the game is and Mm. I get how aggressive the game is so Mm. I sort of feel a little bit more prepared than perhaps some but it still requires a lot of work I think in many ways women have to outperform their Mm. male colleagues in order to get through but that's a challenge that many women face in many workplaces across the country. Politics is no different to that. There is a distinct disparity regarding representation of women in the ACT Legislative Assembly and in federal politics. Why is this, in your view? Well, I think the ACT Assembly has actually done pretty well. I mean, we're, over the years, but and you have to keep your eye on it because it can change in an election. You can go backwards a lot. But you know, when I first got elected to the Assembly, Uh, I think there was one woman in the Assembly, there was none in the Labor Party and now half of the Labor Party's members are women. So we went from no percent to 50 percent and that took a, you know, it sounds like a big jump, that took a lot of work to make sure that we had women candidates that were successful but also women candidates coming through. I think the reason it's so hard is because of the nature of politics really. It's a big ask for a woman to put her hand up I reckon. Mm -hmm. I think you look at it, you look at the way it's projected in our screens and to our homes and I think many people, many women I've spoken to said, no thanks. I like mm. to contribute but I'm going to choose a different way to do it. I think some of the political structures themselves which were designed by men for men mean mm. that women when they are thinking about whether they're going to have kids and what role they'll have as a parent, I think they look at that and weigh that up and think, you know what, looks really hard and it is and I think some of the support that we need to give women needs to be improved and that's Mm. both in getting them into political parties, supporting them in their sort of movement through the political organisation and then to start considering that life as a candidate or a member or a senator would be something that they felt able to do and then supporting them once they're there. All of those areas I think we need to keep focused on and keep improving because I, I don't think it's perfect and you know when you've got politics one of the least respected and least trusted professions in the country I think you know for many women when you're weighing that up plus kind of the adversarial aggressive nature of the environment and it is I think many women choose to contribute to the community in other ways mm. what do women bring to politics if I can give the best example I guess is when I think women politicians are different you know I don't I think some of the characteristics 
and again, it's speaking very generally because you can mm-hmm. you can have women who are very aggressive politicians mm-hmm. and and show who have are much more similar to kind of aggressive assertive male politicians. Mm-hmm. But I think my experience in working with women and women through say the COAG process and ministerial councils is that we bring good life experience particularly in the areas where you find women ministers, which they're usually in the human service ministries. So things like housing, childcare, health, all those mm-hmm. things that really matter to yes. women because they're you know, usually in charge of that in their families. I think the style that women bring to politics is different. I think it's more consultative, more collaborative, less aggressive, more prepared mm-hmm. to have conversations, more prepared to work across party lines mm-hmm. on things that matter. And you know, there's plenty of examples of that. That is speaking in a huge generalisation though. Mm-hmm. But I think from my point of view and my experience, we do bring a different style to politics and it's often about getting the job done Mm. and not necessarily how you get the job done. Mm. What do you feel is a motivator for you? Well, I guess it's the same thing that's always motivated me, which is about being involved and being part of the the policy setting and decision making process. I mean, I've never been someone who's just been prepared to be a passenger on the bus. I've wanted to be involved and help shape the country that, you know, that we're all going to hand over to our next generation and at its core that's what it's always been about for me whether it was you know being the chair of the child care committee or sitting on the youth centre board or something like that it's always been about contributing I, my parents really had that drilled mm-hmm. into me was you know you're not a, a passenger in life you actually have to contribute and you have to give back and you mm-hmm. have to look after other people and mm-hmm. that's a real privilege to do it from the role I did in local politics so you know I really Absolutely. did have my hand on the levers to try as best as I could to improve the city I lived in and to make sure we looked after everybody as as well as we could and I know there'll be you know different views about how successful I was at that and then I guess the opportunity to be a senator is to raise that up out of just caring about my local city and looking at things more across the country and so some of the jobs I'm working on now are in housing and homelessness and mental health and so I'm sort of taking the experience I got in the ACT as a minister but actually now looking at this across the country and and looking at what solutions we can drive, what policy solutions we can drive to improve those areas and so you know I think my, I guess for me it's my life experience, my work experience and my commitment to get roll my sleeves up get involved Mm. and you know show others that it can be done and politicians can genuinely be good people Mm.
That was the unmistakable voice of Renee Geyer singing the James Brown classic, It's a Man's World. That version was recorded when Renee was just 20. And before that, Katie Gallagher reflected on her use of the word mansplaining in response to Senator Mitch Fifield's seemingly redundant explication of hearing processes in the political chamber earlier this year. However, it is only fair we hear Senator Mitch Fifield's account of the situation, and perhaps we will invite him onto the program if he's willing in the future. Coming up next, Australian Greens lead Senate candidate Christina Hobbs. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3 on local current affairs program Subject ACT. I'm Becca Postorino. This morning we welcome Christina Hobbs. She is the lead Senate candidate uh, for the Australian Greens Party. Welcome to the program. Good morning and thanks for having me. Christina, can you explain your path into politics? What led you or inspired you to want to become a candidate for the Australian Greens Party? Yeah, it was a bit of an unusual path and I never thought I'd go into politics. So my background was more in economics and finance and I worked in that field for a couple of years in Australia. And then I had this fantastic life experience an opportunity to go and work with United Nations overseas and it was really those years so I spent a couple of years in Nepal and it was up there working on the Nepal Tibetan border with small farmers who were already suffering from climate Mm. change and already lost their winter cropping season and seeing the devastating impact that was already having really shocked me and made me realize how we need to really start taking action on some of these issues and then it was my final my final placement with the UN was actually working in Syria and Turkey, Jordan and Lebanon uh, on the Syria conflict. And mm. I think it was really that experience and reflecting and questioning what I was doing overseas when Australia was treating its asylum seekers so badly at home. And I think that and climate change and just realising overall that it was time to come home and start trying to work towards political action mm. in Australia. Why politics with your experience and expertise and obviously what you've seen in the world, why is politics the best place 
for mm. your wanting to instigate that change. Mm. So I came back in at the end of 2013 and I actually started just to join some different activist organisations, so 350.org, a climate organisation, and I went up to the Liverpool Plains actually and spent some time with farmers up there who were battling a coal mine and it was at the time of the ICAC, the New South Wales Corruption Inquiries, and we were learning all about how these coal owners had bribed the Liberal Party, the Labor Party and the National Party and I just thought, geez, you know, unless the politics changes, nothing's going to change. Mm. And I think it was reflecting on the fact that I was from Canberra and that we have one of the most conservative Liberal senators in the whole parliament representing Mm. Canberra Mm. and a man who's been identified as one of the 12 fossil fuel villains by 350.org and I really just didn't think that represented Mm. Canberra. So I thought there was a really good opportunity here. Do you think climate change has lost its momentum in terms of of political interest. I know that the media has an influence and a stake in where interest is directed, but do you think climate change isn't as fashionable as an issue? And why do you think climate action is so important? It's an interesting issue because we've seen over time the public become more and more interested in this and more and more wanting solutions and wanting policies. So in terms of an election, we've never had an election where people are so engaged in this issue, and yet neither of the two parties want to talk about it. And there's strong reasons for that. But at the end of the day, we're investing huge amounts of public money into funding these dead-end industries. And I think the way I like to talk about it is about equality and justice and what can we do with that money if we weren't spending it on fossil fuels. So last week, for instance, I announced a domestic violence policy to drastically increase funding for domestic violence services. And we're going to fund that by partly by reducing just one small subsidy to the fossil fuel industry. So the conversations I like to have and the way I like to frame it is, you know, what could we afford in Australia? if we didn't spend over $7 billion a year propping up our coal and gas companies Mm. and making it really about an issue of justice and and equality. Mm. With your background is climate change and the changes in which you would like to see made. Is it economically viable? How can you convince, as, as a candidate, how can you convince people that it is economically viable? Mm. And I think this is the narrative we've got to start breaking down, whether you care about action on climate change or you care about action on homelessness or wh- whatever it is that you feel really passionately about, is that we're constantly told we can't afford it, we can't afford it. But, you know, a national budget is really just like a household budget. And if we're spending billions and billions of dollars on corporate tax cuts and on subsidising large coal and gas companies, then no, we can't afford these things. But we can reprioritise that money if we want to. Today, I announced a package of $500 million for a new renewable energy agency for Canberra, $5 billion of investment funding for renewable projects. And again, that's fully costed based on reducing just some of those fossil fuel subsidies. So, you know, I really think it's important for people who care about any issue to not allow government officials to tell you that you can't afford those things and to not allow that narrative to continue because it's all about prioritisation. What does the Australian Greens Party stand for at large. I know there's lots of prejudice as to what the Australian Greens Party represents. I know there's why should voters who are perhaps indifferent or uncertain or leaning either way, why why vote Green? Well, the party is built on four key principles. So one is around ecological sustainability, so sustainability. The second is around equality. So every time we make a policy, we review, is this going to make people poorer and some people wealthier or is this going to lead to a more equal society? The third one is peace and nonviolence. 
which is really important. And the fourth one is grassroots democracy. So meaning that any member, you or me who join the party can help write the policies. And so regardless of what issue you care about, if you believe in those values and those principles, then it's a party that most likely representing the things you care about. And we have all our policies online, fully costed. So you can go to www.greens.org.au and check them out. And that's what I'd advise people to do. Back to the issue of gender, why is there such a disparity in representation of women in Australian politics, specifically in Australian politics? Mm. Where do you believe that sort of emanates from? Mm. I think there's a lot of reasons and it it starts with whether women just see politics as a career they want to get into. It goes through to pre-selection and how parties pre-select people and then it goes through to the environment of when you're actually in parliament and if that's a place that women want to stay once they get in. And I, I see issues across all of those. So I see in the Greens, I can already see so many young women taking leadership positions in terms of the campaigning work but then the people that have come who come to me to ask me about oh how do I step into politics they're more likely to be the young men and often who are taking less of an actual campaigning role um, <laughs> but I think what's really interesting is that the Greens is the only party that has a truly transparent membership voting system for pre-selection and it, the fascinating thing is that if you look at what happened in Canberra every single federal position was filled mm. by a woman when the members actually freely voted mm. and I think that's really key and that when you have a party that encourages women to join, that's a safe space for women, that women feel comfortable, and then those women and men are allowed to vote on candidates freely, that you do actually get more women coming through. Mm. I find the Greens is a really supportive party and it's also very interested in a lot of the issues that women are interested in. So I think that helps us attract women. With reference to the current political climate between Labor and the Greens, are you concerned for that relationship at the moment? There's been a lot of conversation in the media and political conversations where Labor have clearly stated that they won't form allegiance. How does that sound as a an incentive to be a Greens senator candidate? Well, I think we're at this election more than any other, we're really seeing opportunities for Greens to start taking a number of lower house seats. So there's obviously more tension between the Greens and Labor that we've seen in the past. I think that it's, I think the Labor also realises that they're going to start to lose some of their progressive voters towards the Greens due to issues like the humane treatment of asylum seekers and climate action. And so I think that they are concerned about that. I think here in the ACT, we have quite a different relationship with Labor. Federally, the Greens really go after the Senate seat. It's the seat that we have a really good opportunity of winning. And in the ACT, Labor is very safe. So it's really between the Greens and the Liberals. And I think we have a really long history of working together at assembly level. And that really goes through to the federal level. And I I would say I've got great respect for my Labor colleagues here Mm. and that we get on quite well. So I think we have a really different relationship Mm. here where both the Labor and the Greens really, the best outcome we both of our parties think would be to have one Green and one Labor senator. Mm. And what is that built on that relationship? How have you sort of fostered that relationship? relationship and how has it sort of sustained this sort of political climate of Mm. seats being more important than I guess shared values? Mm. I think something that's interesting about the ACT is that it's been a Labor-Green coalition government for so long and so what we see in Canberra is one of the most progressive Labor parties in the whole country so I think through years of working together and negotiating very progressive solutions so we have Labor politicians here who are committed to 100% renewable energy targets who are welcoming to asylum seekers who care 
they're about good funding for homelessness services, all these different community-based sectors. So the Greens and Labor are a lot more aligned in Canberra. And I think that our common values are much more predominant here than they are in some of the other other cities. So I think it's based more on those common values. And I think it's based on, you know, look at Katie Gallagher, who I'm running against. Mm. She's someone who wants really strong action on climate change. She's somebody who I don't think, although she hasn't said it publicly and she said publicly she wouldn't vote against her government's asylum seeker policies, I think she is someone who probably really questions those policies. And so on values, we're probably quite aligned. Mm -hmm. It's more that she's with a party where she isn't able to vote in line with some of those values. Mm. And that poses a problem for individuals within a party is that their values get dissolved within the party line. Could you speak to that? I think definitely. And again, it's a, it's a difference of being with the Greens because when you put your hand up to win a Green seat, you're essentially putting your hand up to volunteer a year of your life to struggle away to try to win something. You're doing it because you really, really care about those values. You know, you're not representing one of the major parties, so it's going to be harder for you to win, but you're doing it because you want to get that progressive voice through. Whereas I think for people that join the two major parties, you're appealing to a much broader base of people and that you're always going to be torn a bit between the policy is always going to be guaranteed towards winning elections and winning votes rather than necessarily doing what's right or what's Mm. fully in line with the values of the party. So as a senator, what would you like to express in the parliamentary chamber? Yeah, I just want to see the ACT on the national stage because Canberra is the most progressive city in the whole country. We really we really care about these progressive issues like action on climate change, asylum seekers, equality as a principle, and yet we don't have anyone loudly speaking on those values in Parliament. So I would like to be just someone who stands up and represents the ACT and somebody that our city can be really proud of. That was Australian Greens Party lead Senate candidate Christina Hobbs on what inspired her to pursue a career in politics. Coming up next week, we digress from politics and meet Artistic Director of Impro ACT Nick Byrne on the art and craft of improvisation. And I speak to comedy legend Tim Ferguson about his exciting comedy writing masterclass coming up in July at the Canberra Theatre. Tomorrow, Doug Dobing balances the political seesaw with a fascinating program on Dogs ACT or the ACT Canine Association about responsible pet ownership. Coming up next, Community Radio Network's topical storytelling, all the best. You've been listening to Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3. I'm Becca Posterino. Have a lovely day.